And welcome to today's episode of the Pipeline ACC podcast. I am Dan Siegel from ACC Content. I am joined, as always, by Jason Gibbs. Jason, well, rest in peace to the turnover chain. Mario Cristobal has gotten rid of it, so Miami football will not be having that infamous prop after turnovers this year where they have all this swagger on the sideline. I guess Cristobal is more focused on actually winning games and less about how they look going 500, which maybe that's a good sign, but uh, rest in peace to the turnover chain, right? Yeah, you know, I actually wrote an article I'm going to probably release, I think, tomorrow about the um, the best and worst turnover props of all time. Obviously, Miami kicked it off, and it just unleashed a legion of copycats. I think the turnover chain, though, had started to jump the shark a little bit. You know, when you, you pull out the turnover chain, you know, versus Alabama, and you're down by 100, might be time to keep that thing in this case. But, uh, it, you know, it's, it's a new era. I know uh, Miami fans are excited. Probably time to turn the page on a lot of those things and turnover chain being one of them. Well, as a little bit of a teaser for your article, do you have a top three for turnover props that you would use? Just like real turnover props that other schools have used, like the top three. Yeah, so I, mean, I, I, I definitely would say Miami's was number one. You know, it was the it was the bling. It was the swagger. It was, you know, a block of diamonds. Then post COVID, you had the guy whose sole job it was seemingly to uh, sanitize the turnover chain. <laughs> I wish I could have gotten that job out of high school. Right. <laughs> turnover chain sanitizer. So that, I think that would I think it would be number one. I, I like the wrestling belts, but they're a little bit common. So I, maybe I wouldn't. Maybe I wouldn't choose those. Um, I don't want to give away the whole article, but but yeah, I mean, I I liked, uh, you know, there was a, a Kennesaw State turnover plank, which was obviously hilarious. There's a, a, a pretty funny backstory about that one. Um, but for me, I, I actually like Boise State's turnover throne. I, I you know, it's simple. Yeah, you, you have that kind of a king chair. Because that, that's what all, you know, turnover props are, you know, fun, right? They're, they're pomp and circumstance. They're, you know, about strutting that ass, if you will. So going up, sitting on a chair, you know, on a throne, kind of, hey, this is my kingdom. You know, I, I like that kind of thing. How about the UNLV Rebel Roller? It's a slot machine <laughs> that wins every single time, perfectly themed for Las Vegas. I, that was my favorite. I love that one for UNLV. Also, Oregon State had a chainsaw, but it was an actual chainsaw. Like, it wasn't fake. It was a real chainsaw, which I think could be rather dangerous, if I'm being honest. But no, we haven't had any freak accidents yet, so all I could say is that's kind of cool. But, yeah, I'll, I'll um, definitely will be promoting that article, and I'm excited to see it released because I'm interested to see about all the turnover props, best and worst. There have been some really bad ones, but we'll uh, we'll hold off on talking about the that. best ones. The bad ones are the best ones, <laughs> I guess. So, like, what would well, are do good ones even exist in that case? Yeah, I mean, to me, you know, when you can easily tell a good turnover prop, and it's 
are my rival fans making fun of me? That's the, that's the number one litmus test. If my rival fans are making fun of my turnover prop, I need to put it back in its case and its bag and its box, whatever. Fair enough. It's like the whole rent-free thing, except every single rival lives rent-free in every single other rival's head. That's the <laughs> point of a rivalry. I never get that phrase, but people like to throw it out on Twitter and social media all the time. Anyway, uh, moving on to basketball, and we had big news this weekend or early this week, I should say. Not news that we were particularly surprised about, but maybe the timing was slightly surprising, and that is that Louisville head coach Chris Mack has been fired midseason, and we saw the writing on the wall, like the things they were saying in interviews, the way his team was not only underperforming but just not responding to him. And it was clear that he just didn't have a hold of the locker room, that Louisville is just not going in the right direction. It was going in the wrong direction. So is, I mean, what are your thoughts on the Chris Mack firing? I guess really there's not much to talk about and more to talk about is what is his replacement. Cause we've talked a lot about Chris Mack and his struggles, but just give me a brief synopsis of what your feelings were when you heard that news. Yeah. So I think, I honestly, I mean, maybe, maybe I'm wrong, but I think, you know, we were the first ones to kind of mention it on our, you know, award-winning podcast that it was time for him to go. And that was quite a while back, months ago, probably at this point. And you're right. I mean, I, I thought, I didn't think it would be mid-season. I thought it would be kind of toward the end, but then after these type of interviews, as you mentioned, it's almost like he was trying to get fired. I mean, I, I hate to say that, but I don't know why you would say some of the things he said in the press conferences if you weren't trying to get yourself, you know, shown the door. Hey, he got four plus million dollars to be shown the door. And maybe, you know, that was his his end goal. I don't know. Obviously, you know, I, I don't know his own motives or whatever. But our guy, Eric Haslam of Haslam Metrics, had recently said after their last loss, Louisville was literally dead last in momentum. And that's unbelievable for an ACC team. And I'm not saying the ACC is, you know, king of the hill this year, but for an ACC team, you know, one with a rich tradition of like Louisville, geez, dead last in momentum just means that's how bad you're playing. And honestly, Cards fans deserve better than this. They deserve someone who's, you know, wants to be there. And, you know, speaking of, I, a name that keeps getting thrown around that I don't want to say is surprising. I mean, I, I guess I will say is surprising is Bruce Pearl. You know, Bruce Pearl has the number one ranked Auburn, you know, squad in the country. They're playing great. They're obviously looking like a final Four team. They've made runs before in the tournament. Why he'd want to kind of pick up and, and go to Louisville's kind of a head scratcher to me. I, Maybe there's something I'm missing. Maybe there's something on the surface, some obvious connection. But, you know, he had success at Tennessee. And then, you know, obviously he was out for a while. And then he came back with Auburn. And he's had, obviously, a lot of success there. To kind of abandon that midships is, is strange. So that'll definitely be an, a name we keep an eye on. But beyond that, I mean, I think if you're Louisville, you really need to nail this higher. You know, you you have a, a talented roster, you have a winnable ACC, and 
you have a guy that could really, you know, bring in a guy that really make noise. I mean, of course, of course, the dream is Rick Pitino come back, right? That, I want that just solely so Twitter goes offline after it's broken for the day. But <laughs> um, I don't really know how realistic that was, especially considering the, the issues that <laughs> happened the last time he was around. But it's going to be interesting. I think I really do think, you know, the cards AD has to nail this search. You know, football has kind of floundered under Satterfield after he moonlighted with other teams. And so basketball is kind of where it's at for Louisville, you know, especially right now. They need to they need to hit this. And I do think that there will be interest from guys who are already coaching at power conference programs. That's the good thing. It's not like most power conference schools. They go get an up and coming mid-major guy who made the tournament as a 13 seed, maybe won a game or two in the tournament. And now is this up and coming commodity. I think for a program like Louisville, they have enough resources. They have enough of a tradition to, for the athletic department to be able to go get a guy who is already out of power school and has a strong resume and isn't just an up-and-coming guy, someone who's been there. So there's that. But, yeah, I mean, for Chris Mack, on the other hand, he might get a job somewhere in a lower power conference school to an upper mid-major school because remember at his nine-year stint at Xavier, he did make four sweet 16s. At Louisville, he was the – Seven seed in 2019, bounced in the first round. 24 and seven in the COVID year. So he's starting off pretty strong. Then he misses the tournament last year, and he's obviously going to do it this year. They're just not coached well. So where does Louisville go from here? I don't know. Obviously, you want to win as many games as possible just to make the job a little bit more appealing. But the thing is, it's going to be months and months before really they're going to be able to search for who their coach is. So as of now, you just try to win as many games as you can and, you know, keep the program as stable as possible. So um, that's like, obviously we're talking about uh, Chris Mack and a coach who's really not getting the job done, but a conversation I had on Twitter a couple of days ago that I wanted to bring to this podcast are guys that have been doing particularly really well perhaps national coach of the year bound. So there's guys like Bruce Pearl from Auburn, obviously going to get thrown out there. I mean, there's all the um, top teams in the country that will probably, I mean, the coach of the year will probably come from a top 10 team, but I like to look at this and look at some of the, maybe the lesser known schools, maybe some of the mid majors or the, you know, the overachieving power five schools that are not traditionally in the top 25. I think if we're from the ACC, if we're going to have one candidate, it's got to be a guy like Steve Forbes. I mean, the turnaround at Wake Forest through one year, able to grab Alondis Williams in the transfer portal, make him a stud, grab Jake LaRavia in the transfer portal, make him a stud, and just turn the entire team around in one year. That's an incredible job. Who else are you thinking for this conversation? Well, toot, toot, I'm going to toot your own horn because you were on Steve Forbes early. I think he's even surpassing your expectations. And you had them, what you have them at, at your bold takes, 18 to 20 wins? I mean, just really an incredible job. I, you know, I, I, think, I think you're right 
there a guy like Steve Forbes would would never win coach of the year because they're gonna they give it to the the top guys or the top five or ten guys. I mean, I could even see Coach K winning it, you know, on his on his swan song out because he, you know, obviously has a top five team or whatever. What about Ed Cooley from Providence? You know, um, the Friars are ranked. They got another big win on the road uh, tonight against Xavier. And I believe their only loss this season is a, a neutral court game um, to Virginia. So Providence just really doing well. And, you know, I mean, can they make a run? Maybe. Uh, but I, I just really like what Ed Cooley's done, done uh, with the Friars. Yeah, um, it's kind of crazy. They, they had two losses. They also lost a game in early January to Marquette. But it's crazy for Virginia, the fact that they went out and beat Providence by 18. But we've <laughs> that's a conversation for a different day. I guess how the heck that happened. Guys I like, um, I mean, there's some guys I don't think will win it, but maybe deserve some recognition just really highly achieving mid-major teams such as Todd Golden at San Francisco, Matt McMahon, Murray State, and my favorite of the bunch, probably Bob McKillop from Davidson. Not because Davidson's – just because Davidson's a top 25 team and so playing so well and winning so many games in the A-10, but because if you look at the way that their team runs their offense and the sophisticated sets that they run, it's just – it's incredible. Like, I think they might be just the most well – just schematically, just in terms of X's and O's, they might be the most – have the most complex system in the country and the most well-coached team. Just take out recruiting, take out in-game adjustments, take out, like, practices. Just, like, the scheme that they run and the system that they run. Davidson is one of the best in the country, and that – I think Bob McKillop, he's been there for a long time, but – he deserves some more net rat, uh, national recognition, but I do agree with you that it's probably going to be a guy like I would say. I would say my favorite would be Bruce Pearl, right? They're number one in the country. They weren't expected to be this good, and that's just well. I mean, what about Tommy Lloyd from Arizona, right? I mean, obviously they they had the big loss. Was it last night uh, to UCLA on the road? But really, everything that could go wrong did go wrong for him they shot a a atrocious percentage but you know his first season as a a d1 coach um you know obviously he was at gonzaga for a while um but he could be a name and and here's another name i don't like i said i don't think he'll win it but and this is my sneaky final four team you want you know we talk about all the time uh on uh in past podcasts of joining our discord and we really do you know of course we want to build the community but we really are giving out some really good uh uh betting tips that have have hit we've been you know really hot lately and then there's a lot of fun banter so you know we'll leave the link in in the description but one guy i gave out or one team i gave out for a a sneaky kind of final four uh possible championship run is uconn I really like them, I, and I like, you know, defensively and offensively, they're, you know, top, I think, 15 or 20 in the country for, for you know, advanced metrics. And maybe Dan Hurley, you know, he's done a great job there. And uh, they're 14-4 and four right now, uh, ranked, top, ranked number 20 and third in the Big East. 
but I really think they could sneaky make, you know, make a sneaky run. And, and I like their odds to win it all. I think they were at 60 to one. That's, that's out. I'll give you a, you know, comparable UNC's 66 to one. And I personally don't think they have a chance in heck, you know, as far as if you want to just an ACC, um, comparable, you know, odds wise, I, I saw they were around there. I can't, I can't remember. Someone else was uh, maybe Florida state was a little bit above them, but anyway, regardless, Dan Hurley's a name that I would love, you know, to, to see and get some votes. Dan Hurley. Yeah. The only problem is if they were to make their run, it would be after the voting because the coach of the year is the regular season thing, not a March madness thing. So they'll have to pick it up a little more in the regular season. I do see them as like a, underdog type pick it to make a run as like a three, four seed in March, but the, you it's going to go to probably a one or a two seed, but um, ACC coach of the year, definitely Steve Forbes. As of now, I don't see anybody else coming close. Um, we'll see how Wake Forest could sustain themselves, but they just grabbed another win 30 points over Boston college this Monday. This Monday also featured North Carolina, taking down Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech, by the way, is now 10 and 10 overall. It's quite the come down to earth. Not only did they lose to UNC on Monday, but did you just see like 10 minutes before we started recording this pod, there was a Charlie Moore half-court buzzer beater to take it <laughs> um, home, home against Miami. Miami took it and Miami was actually underdogs in that game. So the analytics are going to keep liking Virginia Tech, but they just keep disappointing, keep losing games. Oh, I, just, I mean, it's just – I don't know how you could continue to grasp onto them as a program. As, or as a program, they're probably fine. But as a team this year, I don't see any possibility in them making the tournament, but the analytics keep putting them in the picture. I don't know what the opposite of, of tooting your own horn is. I'm not really sure, but I think both you and I need to do that for Virginia Tech. We kind of hailed them. We thought, you know, last year they were pretty solid. They got bounced in the first round, but they had so many COVID breaks that we just were kind of like, okay, now this year they, they won't have that. And they'll be able to just, you know, keep kind of steamrolling ahead. You know, Justin Mutz and company, uh, and we just thought that they really get it done and, and two and seven in the conference, 10 and 10 overall, geez, it's just been a total disaster. I don't, like you said, the analytics will like them, but at this point they, they'd obviously have to win the ACC tournament to make the dance. Yeah. Or at least just like run the table, win, like lose like two more games the entire season and conference tournament included to make it. So, I mean, we, we have tonight going on right now, the rematch of the ACC championship last year, Florida State and Georgia Tech. It is close with 10 minutes into the game. Also tied at Notre Dame and NC State. I think Kevin Keats is another one that probably goes after the year. I think he's honestly capable included, probably the most likely coach to go of the entire conference. Um, we got – I mean, Florida State and Notre Dame, though, the two teams that are playing right now, the two teams that are now in the lead as we speak, they're two teams that have really picked up their play. I think we have Miami and Wake who have been able to be consistently among the top, but Florida State and Notre Dame are 
probably surpassing like that UNC, that UNC, Virginia, Clemson, Louisville here. They're way above that. So now if we're looking at like a five-bid league, it's probably Wake, Duke, Miami, and then maybe Florida State, maybe Notre Dame. And that's how I think – I mean, the season ends today, or at least as I would predict, I think that's kind of what we're looking at right now. You would you would uh, not put UNC in? If the season ended today, I think they would be in. But if mm-hmm. I were to create the tournament bracket, Dan Siegel would not put them in. I would not. Right. But I think, I think they that's would. fair. I don't – you know, they seem – well, what what just let's talk a little bit about Florida State there first is that, you know, we we talked about it before that they've especially when they when they haven't been kind of one of those elite teams they've been you know really good at home and then kind of subpar on the road. I kind of see UNC being the same thing. I think it was Brian Ives who was saying that. UNC is 21 and one over the last two years at home in the ACC. And that's the best in the ACC. And on the road, I think they're 11 and 17 or something. So just good teams can go on the road and get a victory, even in harsh environments. And I want to see, you know, it'll be interesting to see how this game plays out for Florida state tonight. You know, currently they're kind of in a, in a battle with Georgia tech, if they can, start stringing together those wins, then maybe, you know, our prediction, my near prediction of Florida State winning the ACC this year will come true. It was looking shaky for a while, but seemingly like it's righted, righted the, it's the ship. Notre Dame as well. We had high hopes for them coming into the season, and it they got off to a bit of a shaky start, but seems like they're kind of um, – they've, you know, improving on the defensive end. Shots are falling, and – now they're sitting at five and two in the conference. So maybe, maybe the ACC will get in five, maybe six teams. And it, obviously, it's going to depend greatly how it goes down the stretch because these aren't teams that are outside of Duke. These aren't teams that are, you know, ranked in the top 10 and only have one loss or whatever. So the rest of the season is going to matter tremendously. But I don't know. Maybe, maybe you know, we, we can get a couple surprises. How about a team like Virginia? I don't think we've talked about them much yet in this episode because they're just extraordinarily mediocre. And if the ACC, if they were extraordinarily mediocre in a good ACC, they'd probably sneak in. But let's say they finish the year. I want to be realistic, but also, like, on the better side. So let's say they go – 13 and seven in conference. Well, let's say 14 and six in conference. So that would put them. No, that's maybe that's a little unrealistic. Let's say 13 and seven in conference. That would put them at 11 losses, 21 and 11. Is that good enough to get in the ACC? I'm not sure. Are you, you mean in March Madness? Yeah, to get into the dance. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I don't think so. I mean, first of all, let's, I mean, let's just take a quick glance at their schedule, right? At Notre Dame is their next game. They still have two with Miami left, two with Duke. At Virginia Tech, that's going to be a tough one. Uh, at or They're home, but this Florida State, I don't know, man. I, I just don't see them just ripping off just a ton of wins. I mean, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they can, you know, kind of right the ship. And um, 
they're playing i mean look at their last let's see uh, i'll go back to when they played at clemson win then a loss then a win and then a loss and a win and a loss and a win you're right that's extraordinarily mediocre that's the definition of mediocre so I just don't see it happening. I mean, unless somehow all of a sudden all the pieces fall into place. I just, especially considering the teams they're playing are going to be tough for them to beat. But it's not like, again, it's not like we're talking about a, you know, top 10 uh, Notre Dame team, a, you know, top 10 Florida State team, a, a top 15 Miami team. So, the games are going to be tough, but even if they win them, it's not a highly ranked ACC team. So I just don't think – I don't think the roadmap's there for the Hoos this year, unfortunately. Well, there's one hope for us. The only hope I would say as a conference is if the ACC just turns into last year's Pac-12, which is very doubtful. But let's say they get like five teams in the tournament and none of them are particularly high seeds, maybe mm. – except for Duke, but then just all of them completely show out in the tournament and people forget about how bad the conference was the entire year. I'm not sure there's a talent for that to happen, but you never know. That's the only hope we could kind of cling on to. I guess we're kind of really down bad trying to become the Pac-12, but um, do you have any? We were all living in Bill Walton's fever dream last year. Oh, yeah. And by the way, speaking of Bill Walton, He's back with Dave Pash, but I listened to a game earlier this year where Bill Walton was not announcing with Dave Pash. It was somebody else that I didn't – I don't remember his name, but he's just not the same. Bill, Dave Pash deserves a lot of credit for making Bill Walton who he is. I don't think that gets talked about enough because Bill Walton is the incredible personality that he is and makes mediocre Pac-12 basketball something that would be enjoyable to watch, but – Dave Pash kind of is very good with him. And that, I, that's just something when you mentioned Bill Walton, I, I felt like I had to uh, bring up. Yeah. You, you know, you think about Dave Pash and his, uh, his announcing with Bill Walton, which if I know we're, you know, obviously focused on the ACC, but if you do get a chance to uh, stay up late and listen to some, you know, Pac-12 after dark, definitely worth it because, you know, Walton's entertaining on his own. But the way Pash can kind of navigate continuing to call the game and, and informing the viewer while still letting, you know, carving out a space for Walton to be Walton, you know, it's like he's kind of herding cats, but cats that have eaten a certain type of brownie and then just been to a Grateful Dead concert. So <laughs> it's uh, it, it's amazing to watch and it's, it's fun to listen to, but. Yeah, I mean, it, it is we're we're in sort of strange times saying maybe we can be the Pac-12 when it used to be the Pac-12 kind of wish they could be us. But I don't know, maybe, we, you know, like I've always said, you, you can't you can't win them all until you win the first one. So you got just got to keep stacking wins together. And that's what we kind of need to we kind of need to, if we want a lot of teams in the dance, we kind of want to need the conference to start splitting. We need the bottom half to start losing all their games and the top half to start winning all their games. I think if we keep beating up on each other, it's not a strong enough conference to to be, you know, seven, eight, nine teams in the dance. So speaking of which, like, let's take the ACC and let's take the SEC. So those two conferences of the power, like the top 10 conferences in, in the country, we'll say. If you look at 
the record of the home team over the away team. By far, in the ACC and the SEC, the home team is much more likely to win. That's a sign of the conference being very similar, very, um, I guess, homogenous throughout. So, in like the SEC, they're going to get a very large number of teams in. They're going to get half their conference in, and I think the beating up on each other is actually helping them out because it's getting it's going to have allow more teams to have good enough records to sneak in. But like you said, in the ACC, it's just hurting. Yeah, I mean, it's you know, Dan, it's always about it's always about optics, right? And, and kind of what you're what you're used to. I mean, we've already kind of alluded to that when we're talking about coach of the year. Oh, well, it must be Bruce Pearl because they're number one in the country. Oh, yeah. Well, think about, you know, what Dan Hurley's done. We think about what Bob McKillop's done at Davidson. Those were more difficult to pull off. But so you kind of say, well, you know, Kentucky played Mississippi State. Well, and I know Kentucky won, but if Mississippi State won, well, they beat a ranked team, you know, so, oh, they must be better. And we kind of move up. So it's almost like you need to be good preseason. People need to think you're good. And then early on in the season, you need to win a bunch of kind of of out-of-conference games, maybe against ranked teams to kind of boost that, boost you up. And then people will say, oh, they're, they're this good. They're beating up on each other. That's expected because they're, they're all good teams. So it's kind of like where you start from matters tremendously. Yeah, early non-conference, but preseason bias is obviously a thing. And I think, if anything, the ACC is going to be benefited by that because we're, we're a very big brand. We're probably top one, top two conference branding in college basketball. Mm. So it's going to it – that might be the reason UNC gets in. I'm not saying if UNC loses a – bunch of their last games they're going to get in but let's say they're like right on the bubble March Madness will want to make a little more money having UNC in as that playing game instead of like I don't know like a A Murray State or Chattanooga yeah yeah or like yeah some some mid-major school that lost only four games that year but then lost in their conference championship they'd rather take the UNC yeah, so. and I mean that I know that that stinks for those smaller teams, but I I just I can I don't want to say I don't want to endorse the NCA doing that because I'd rather them just take the most deserving teams. But we are humans. We're talking about humans picking themes, and you're gonna you know familiarity. You're gonna go with what's familiar. Right. You're going to pick things that are familiar. It's like there's, they've done scientific studies where they've played a song for someone and they've rated it on you know, a scale of one to ten. And the more someone heard that song, the more they liked it. And the same type of thing applies here. You know, you've seen UNC, you've seen, you know, some of these you know teams, maybe not a Miami type team, but, you know, uh. Notre Dame, Florida State. We've seen, you know, before as far as you know, branding goes, and we've seen those teams make runs in the dance. So, okay, well, I mean, I'm kind of familiar with that. I'd rather go with that than, 
more of an unknown, you know, like we said, you know, San Francisco or Murray State or Chattanooga or something. Well, I mean, I guess we'll see how it goes down the stretch. But, yeah, I definitely agree. Like, the thing, if us, our interest is just the ACC getting as many teams in, bottom's got to win, top's got to lose. So, like, for example, sorry, Georgia Tech, but you guys got to lose to Florida State. Sorry, NC State, you guys got to lose to Notre Dame. That's just – obviously, you're rooting for your own team. But we're unique people. We, we cover the conference, so we're rooting for the best for the whole league. That's just – What's got to happen? But I mean, I guess. Yeah, I mean, you, you look at the games this weekend: Miami at Georgia Tech. The Hurricanes need to win that game, right? You yeah. know, NC State at North Carolina. Tar Heels need to win that game. Virginia Tech at Florida State. Florida State needs to win the game. And uh, you know, Virginia at Notre Dame. Like we, we, you know, I already mentioned that the Irish have to win it. And Wake Forest at Syracuse. That's not one that Syracuse or or the Deeks can drop. You know, especially a subpar orange team that's kind of imploding on itself, nine and 11 overall, three and six in the conference. Don't go into the carrier dome and blow that game. But the, the problem is all the, the games you just mentioned, they'll be like five point or less spreads. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, I'm fully aware of all of that. But none of those games that I just said are gimmies. I mean, yeah. I, I guess I have the ones that I mentioned probably Florida state at home versus Virginia tech, but it's, I mean, they're not going to be like 15 point favorites or, you know, 20 point favorites or something. So they could, it could easily be a dog fight. Well, do you have anything else for the pod? Because I mean, I'm, that's all I've got for it. I will. I mean, we'll get, we'll get more uh, ACC stuff down the line as the things pick up, but. That's really all I have to say. This conference has been so goddamn like underwhelming this year. Even to cover it, I'll be honest, it's just not as entertaining as it usually is. I always love it, but so, sometimes it's just more exciting than it is this year. But, yeah, there's yeah. been times in the past where it's been more successful than this year. True. Um, but – there's still a lot of surprises. There's lots of games out there. There's, you know, obviously fans, you know, they're going to be cheering for their team no matter what. And so, you know, we're going to do the best we can to cover them and, and, and bring the energy and bring the noise. And who knows, maybe things will break our way. You know, maybe um, we will end up getting some team. And maybe, you know, we, like you said, the Pac-12 Pac did do it last year. So we have a roadmap. It was done just last year. Teams can – you know, teams can get hot at the right time and just kind of click. And, you know, there's been some coaching changes coming to the league this year, you know, obviously like a Hubert Davis from North Carolina and it, it's been some rough waters and, you know, um, Jim Laranaga for uh, Miami, he seems like he's kind of righted the ship and, you know, Steve Forbes, we've already mentioned him and possible coach of the year. So, you know, these guys, their, their kind of systems are settling in. We talked about Leonard Hamilton saying his team's going to, you know, do well in February. It looks like they're kind of hitting their stride a little bit early. And you've mentioned that before as, as well. So, you know, it's it's not impossible. I, I know we've kind of started out a little bit flat, but we're picking it up. And, you know, we're, we, we're, we're hovering right now around that five-team limit. Maybe we could add a six-team or maybe we could miraculously add a seven-team and, and get a couple upsets and then – the whole kind of regular season is an afterthought if you have, you know, four teams in the Sweet 16. 
Well, if we get four teams in the Sweet 16 and seven bids, or if we end up following and getting three teams in total, we'll have you covered no matter what on the Pipeline HCC podcast. So thank you guys for listening. Please join our Discord. The link is in the episode description. So please get, you know, you're able to get your betting advice and be able to join our conversation and, and interact with us on the daily. But with that being said, guys, thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time on the Pipeline HCC podcast.